everyone, welcome to Lead Difference Experiment with Friends. Karen, my friend, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Excellent. I'm really excited today because I'm getting to meet one of your friends. Yes. And hopefully, they will become one of my friends. Guaranteed. And that's the rea- that's the beauty of all of my friends is that they uh, they're very generous and gracious and will accept other people into their friendship group. So is that's that because they know you as the generosity guy? That's exactly right. That's that's how it works. Uh, but today we're talking to um, a CEO and executive coach, a like, general business coach. She's an author, speaker, Opportunity International and Australia ambassador, which I always like to add in. But she is a wife, a mother, a grandmother, um, an athlete all of these things. It's Suzanne Laidlaw. Welcome, Suzanne. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited as well because um, we've we've spent a bit of time together. You've been an Opportunity International Australia ambassador for longer than I've been uh, around at Opportunity. Um, and I've had you speak at a couple of our, our events. Um, and I think your story is extraordinary. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But I'm curious, can, can you just unpack uh, what it is to be a CEO and, and executive coach, what it is to be a business coach, what does your everyday life look like? Um, it really is about helping people clarify what they want to achieve in their life, that their business or their role can actually deliver so that their business or their role as a CEO or executive of a, of a big organisation um, is delivering what they actually want out of their life and helping them to get that clarity because sometimes they've just landed where they've landed and there's a disconnect with their life Mm. because it might be taking too much time away from their family. They might have given up all their hobbies. They might not have time to look after their body. Um, And and so it's almost like their, their, their role or their business has taken their life away from them opposed to giving them a life, which is you know, what we do, we exchange time for money um, in, a, in a business or a role, but sometimes it doesn't do that. So everyday life is, is sitting down with people, holding them accountable, chatting about their goals and um, strategizing about what the next move is. And that's pretty much it. It's the best job in the world. And so it's, it's more about just making great businesses and like, you know, earning heaps of money, all that kind of thing. For you, it's really a drive to purpose and, and the quality of life or the type of life that they want. Yeah, it's it's not about that. Yes, we I have to look at profit and losses, and yes, there needs to be a profit at the bottom, but that's quite shallow. Like, what's it all about? You know, what's what's the why behind the person who's in the position, either the their executive role or as an owner, um, or and also what's the why behind the business? Because if if the people that are running the organisation don't understand the why behind the organisation then definitely the people within that organisation don't understand the why. And so what type of businesses do you normally work with? I work with some non-for-profits. I work with, I've got some executives I've worked with for many years in the mining sector, small businesses and service industries and all all kinds. It's really about connecting with people that I resonate with, people that I can see have similar values. And you've been doing this for a while, haven't you? Yeah, about 12 years now. Yeah. yeah. So do you do this on your own? Do you have a team? How, how um, I am by myself and I have another coach that I've recently taken on to help me and I have two support staff. So there's a little team of four of us. Yeah, awesome. And my so, coach that I've just taken on 
was my client 12 years ago. She was one of my first clients. <laughs> she's come back to me full circle and said, um, you made such an impact on my life and what you do ha- makes an impact on people's lives that I would love to do um, what you're doing. So um, I'm now mentoring her and she's done all the training and she'll be an amazing coach. So That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, so, I want to interject because I don't know much about you, Suzanne. Uh-huh. You're, uh, Kyron mentioned athlete. Yes, um, I, I are we talking like ping pong? Are we talking <laughs> uh, pole vaulting? Uh, like, I'm not of, very good at ping pong, I tell you. <laughs> what kind of athlete are we talking here? I was a triathlete for about 20 years. Um, I haven't competed for since I became a grandma. I still do, um, you know, the odd races, but not competitively. I, I was representing, I represented my country a few times. I represented in the world champs in London, which was amazing because we raced on the um, Olympic course for the world championships. And that that meant that the whole of the centre of London was closed, which it doesn't close for much. So we had total street closure. So I was, I did, um, I think, six laps in front of Buckingham Palace with about 10 deep of people. And each time I waved in case the Queen was there. <laughs> so, so essentially, my, you, got, you got your yeah, own private tour of London that exactly. just happened to be very painful then, as well. Yep, right <laughs> past the, the, the Houses of Parliament, right through the Marble Arch. It was incredible and my, I said to my husband I kept waving at Buckingham Palace as we were going around that roundabout in case the Queen was looking and he said oh what a shame I never got a photo and in the official f- photos which I think is on Facebook or LinkedIn I'm waiting <laughs> it was so funny so it was the slowest race I think I've ever done because I knew I wasn't going to place yeah. and I just couldn't I was so euphoric with the experience yeah. I just didn't want it to end yeah. so That's amazing Anyway, Karen, I'm going to let you take over your, your, your interview. Sorry. Again. That. Sorry. Thanks. So this is where you are now. Like thinking back to 12-year-old, 14-year-old Suzanne, um, what did that version of you want to become? I was really um, most inspired at that age by people like Mother Teresa was my hero at that stage. I was brought up in a Catholic girls' school and I was just of the understanding that my whole life was about making a difference and helping people less fortunate than myself because being born in Perth, Western Australia, I was always told by my parents to be very grateful for that, um, you know, just gift. That, that's a huge gift to be able to be born here. And so I just always saw it as my duty to to help others that were not as fortunate. So I never knew how I was fascinated by all books to do with orphanages, to do with charities, to do with making a difference. And I was just fascinated with that. And I just thought that I would be working on a like um, like some kind of place overseas for underprivileged children or, and you know, something like that. That's what I always envisaged I'd be doing. So fast forward a few years then, sort of finishing school and kind of getting into the workforce, what did that look like for you? I was working as I started um, in recruitment. So I was helping um, people find jobs. So again, sitting, listening to what people would like to achieve and then um, helping them clarify and then matching them with the right job. Um, I ended up being poached by the AMA and I started an employment agency for doctors. 
and mm. um, and that's still going today and very successfully. And 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 I left there to have children and start my own business with my husband um, after he was um, seriously hurt. That was um, I had to look after him, so I had to to stop what I was doing and. Um, we started our own business. So when you say stop what you're doing, so you were working for that that recruiting AMA. Yes, I was yeah. working um, in a in a separate um, company, an organisation, a, a, a for profit organisation, because AMA is obviously an association. Yeah. Um, and I was doing the recruiting of specialists and doctors um, and um, locums and what have you for the AMA. And uh, then um, I actually left when I was pregnant with um, my first child. Right. Um, and that was when my husband and I decided to start our own business because right. I was essentially unemployable because I had a newborn baby and um, he had had an accident. So he was unemployable too. So we thought, well, what better time to start a business? Um, in so having, a, having a newborn baby. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, and yeah. interest rates were, I think, 22% at the time. And it was 1990 in the recession we were meant to have. Oh, that, <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah, we had yep. to have that one, right? Yep. Yeah. And so with our first mortgage and interest rates that were just ridiculous, um, we thought, well, can't be much worse. Let's start a business. <laughs> so what business did you start? It was um, very boring, but it was good. It was um, wholesale and retail uh, line of office equipment. And we imported from Korea and China and Germany. And we did sold machines, serviced machines and sold supplies. So word finishing um, equipment. So binding, laminating, shredding, collating, drilling, um, anything to do with paper finishing. It was a niche. Um, yeah. that, no, it, there wasn't many people that did it. Um, this is before OfficeWorks came on yeah. on the field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Interesting. yeah, not very passionate about it. But yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. It did us well for 15 years and then we sold it, so, yeah. which was fine. And so that's like the trajectory of you there, like we're talking early on about this desire to serve other people and to, to you know, to do do amazing things uh, for them and then into the recruitment role, which you were doing that, like you were serving, you're finding places for people and, and then to this this starting your own business which essentially is out of necessity you needed to find something to survive and to create an income um which was not a passion but you you did it because that was that's what you had to do in that moment i don't know how, how difficult was that for you well it, it i was really a support role because my husband was from that industry so he knew the industry and um i was still really um in line with my purpose because i had two little children um, he'd been really badly injured, so I was supporting him massive on a massive, um, you know, scale. Um, and um, and so, yeah, as a mother, my my highest value has always been, you know, family and health. And so I was actually meeting those two needs by looking after my children and also um, helping my husband who was in need um, of the support. He couldn't have started the business without me. It was not possible. So let's delve into that and you know at whatever level you're you're comfortable Suze um so you've you've had so you, you've had a, a number of obstacles that you faced during that time and there's been others that have come since like what what were the greatest challenges that you had in that in those early years I suppose the biggest which would be the worst thing that ever happened to us in our life ever but also the best thing and sometimes that does happen in retrospect when we look at back of it um is that we had 
um, a house fire where my husband just had a freak accident where a can of petrol exploded in his face. So, um, and, you know, I was woken with him screaming and the house on fire. So I, you know, saved him and dragged him out of the house and, um, you know, watched his skin peeling off in the pool because he was on fire from head to toe and it was the most horrific sight I've ever seen in my life. The, 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 the picture of my husband on fire is etched in my brain forever as the yeah. worst horror movie I've ever seen. And the smell um, that we don't get to, 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 to see or, or hear in, in sync with the, the sound on a movie was just horrific burning flesh yeah. um, and uh, mixed with burning paint um, was just hot, absolutely awful. Um, and then he was in ICU for um, oh, about three weeks, but on day three, he passed away. And um, I saw him pass away in front of me and it was what they were expecting because he was so mm -hmm. badly um, burnt. And he had more than a third um, of his body was third degree burns. So Whoa. watching him as he was on fire, it was like he was taking, it was like gloves were just falling off, like layers upon layers were just melting off. It was like he was, it was like his skin was almost um, candle wax. It was just mm. it was literally melting off his nose, his ears, everything was just falling off. Um, and then day three in ICU, he was the size of a medicine ball, his head, you couldn't distinguish him from being a human. He like just didn't look, there was no human elements left on his face. It was all burnt to a round ball and swollen and splitting and weeping. Um, it was so unhumane how he looked that they asked me to bring a picture of him in um, to put um, in front of the bed so they knew actually who they were dealing with. Yeah, wow. So the eyes had, had closed and, and burnt over because it was like, the actual size of a medicine ball that's how big it was and then um he never he he was like um, everything was just so swollen and then when he passed away he um he had one of these experiences and he was an extreme atheist before this he had one of these experiences where he saw his body and he saw me next to him and he he looked at the mess his body was in and he had a a, a conscious choice do I go back or do I not go back? And I've never met a more atheist person than yeah. I, I was brought up and my mum was, was a very, you know, um, holy and, and spiritual person. So I was brought up with, with always, you know, um, having that, that different um, perception. And he was just like a strict atheist and, and he saw his body had a choice. Now his eyes were never open in ICU. They were burnt over. They were just a, a swollen, yeah. Um, you know crisp black ball and so um, he saw his body had the choice and then after what seemed like forever for me maybe a minute or so came back um, and then three weeks four weeks later when I eventually spoke to him for the first time ever he told me about this weird dream he'd had um, and the thing that was most I suppose spooky and confirming for an atheist was he said, in my weird dream, I knew it was a dream because my mum and dad were there and they live in Scotland. And he said they were on the other side of this glass wall. He's like, I don't know why I was in a glass wall. He said I was in a glass walled room, which was weird. And you were next to me and my mum and dad were on the other side of the glass. Now, 
because he was so at risk of um, infection, he was in a glass isolated room in ICU. Now his parents had flown from Scotland and because of the risk of um, staph infection, they were not allowed in. So they were on the other side of the glass. So they were there when all this happened. But since then had flown home. And so when he shared this to me and I was just like tears, just, you know, streaming and I get goosebumps even talking about it. And I was just like, that was not a dream. They were yeah. here. They were here for like three weeks, but they had to fly home. They were they were here. They were right next to you, but they couldn't come in and you were in an isolated, infection-free room. And um, it happened. You you stopped. You were dead. And wow. they, um, yeah, so that was like a really, um, I suppose, massive impact on the rest of our life because it was a conscious choice. And when we were a young couple before we got married, we'd done this. I don't know if you'd heard of Zig Ziglar, um, but we'd done a workshop live with Ziggy in Melbourne and he'd made us dream our dream life for the path of our entire life. And we'd sort of said we were going to get married, we were going to have kids, we were going to start a business, we were going to have amazing positive friends, we were going to, you know, backpack the world and he just kept pushing and pushing and saying dream more and where are you in 30 years and we're going to buy a holiday house and where are you and what are you doing and who are you meeting where and he just kept pushing and we had this massive list so that had only just started yeah we were only just married and so he said I kept thinking of our journey had just started and I couldn't because I said why did you come back you know you knew you were a mess you knew it was going to be unbearable the pain and he said I just kept seeing all of our dreams and all of our plans that we'd made and I couldn't let you down you just we just started that journey together and I think we ticked two boxes marriage and buy our first house (laughs) and he was like we like we had this massive plan and he was like I just I just couldn't give up and let you down and and that I think for me has been and and for him as well with what he does has been a huge fuel um and and um driver behind helping other people get clear on where do you want to go what is important in your life to you what's important in this relationship in this relationship with you with your organization with your team because things are going to get bumpy at some stage i mean how many people know people that haven't had a bumpy trot at some stage yeah but if it gets bumpy and we can see where we're going that that horizon of where we're going to can sometimes be that magnet that pulls us through but if there's nothing at the other side and this empty void yeah. I think people can easily give up. Yeah. And so that's been a driver for, for me. For And that accident happened and I'm still in the house now. I still live here. Um, and and it's probably what that was over. We've been married for, I don't know, 35 odd years, a long time. Yeah. So And that still to this day, you know, is firmly in my heart and gets me emotionally even thinking or talking about it something that's so powerful that it can change people's lives yeah so had you actually had kids when this happened or this no before? no okay. no we'd, we'd only we bought we've been in our house for like three months right okay just bought our first house right yeah. and so the recovery this is 1990 did you say the accident happened in 1988 88 okay on the 19th of may in 1988 
Yeah. So in 88, medicine's better than like the 1800s. Yeah. But, but it's not where we are at today with a lot of the burns because we've got some yes. incredible burns stuff yes. in Perth now, yeah. like incredible burns. Yeah. What, what, what's that? What's that like to go on a, a journey of burns recovery that you probably not expected to go on or even survive or like, yeah. what, what was that like? Painful and messy and long, like yeah. very long. Like he couldn't use his hands. So when he got out of hospital, he couldn't use his hands. So for a 33-year-old, very um, uh, masculine, um, good-looking um, young male, that was very difficult for somebody, um, for your new wife to have to help you go to the toilet, to have you help you dress, to have to help you, you know, um, feed yourself. Yeah. Um, that was really difficult for him. But, yeah. it, you know, it, it, it made it, you know, it made our relationship go places we never thought we'd have to go. Yeah. Yeah. It, and you know, <laughs> you know, when you think of, you know, painkillers and, um, you know, suppositories and all those things that go together when someone can't use their hands, you know, yeah. Yeah. a new couple wasn't in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where, uh, and people will, and people can say, oh, you know, and that and that made our relationship so much stronger or whatever. And I always push back and say, no, it could have killed it. it you chose to make your relationship strong out of it because yeah. it could have gone any of which way. Yeah. It could have. So I want to take my hat off to you and your husband <laughs> to actually stay together and making mm -hmm. something extraordinary out of that because that's amazing what you guys have done getting through that. Yeah, thank you. And yeah. and and you're right because we um, were involved with the Burn Support Group for quite a few years. I reckon a good 90% of them, uh, their, their relationships had broken down. Yeah. And not through one or the other. It was just that they were different people now. Yeah. And um, had, had different needs and different challenges and they couldn't keep on the same path anymore. Yeah. So as a, like, you're, you're obviously a very caring, that's come because I've just met you. So this is fun. I've just met you and I'm kind of getting a read on you. I'm like, so very caring, other-centered person. Um, it's almost like you were, uh, in some weird way, e equipped to play this role for him, where there's, like you're saying, 90% of women mm -hmm. probably don't make it through like you have and make yeah. it through stronger, mm -hmm. better, all those things. So I'm just like, forget the triathlons. I've got a whole lot <laughs> of respect for this now. Like, this is the thing where I'm like, oh, okay. Suzanne's got some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah, it's funny because um, I've, I've, I've no nursing background, but I did used to bandage my teddies up and, <laughs> and, I, and I don't get squirmish. Um, uh, like, you know, trying to dress someone every day. I, I'm yeah. talking about not dressing, yeah. I'm talking about dressings. Yeah. And mm. burns are years, like we're yeah. talking about years and years. And he had to wear pressure garments. Now, they had to, I had to take them on and off. Now, pressure garments are like, you know, it, it makes, you know, um, normal tights look easy, like they're yeah. super pressurized. So then you've got weeping wounds underneath them that have got dressings on and then they have to be redressed every day. So they're all stuck. Oh. And that's just tears and pain every single day. And some, and the smell, oh, it was disgusting. Um, but, you know, it's just what you have to do, but I'm not squeamish. So that made it, that made it helpful. And I, and you know, it, you do things, well, I did, you know, I'll do things for, for people that, that I love. I don't mind. Yeah. So how many years is that of 
changing how many years of that are you going through now oh oh well he's he had to wear pressure garments for the first year yeah. on his whole like pretty much all of his body had a face yeah. mask on yeah. um and then after that he only wore the legs and the hands for another year or so yeah so a long time hmm. yeah. a long long time wow he was in pain for about five years pretty much most of the time in yeah. some way because his hands that were his his fingers that were going to amputate them, but they put um, bolts on each knuckle instead to try and hold them together. But then they had to take the bolts out, and so then he had to try and start using hands again that had been bolted where the knuckles are. Like I'm talking about proper bolts. Yeah. And like the the pain watching him in physio and the shaking and just trying to move a millimeter was just it was just awful. So, so were you a full-time carer at that point? I was doing a full-time job because I was the income, the breadwinner at the AMA. Uh, um, and I was going to him morning, lunch and after work. And then when he came home eventually, so he came home towards the end of that year. So the accident was May. He came home towards the end of the year, maybe December-ish. And I still continued to work full-time. Um, and I would be... He had he speed died with his elbow. He needed to go to the toilet, and then I would just bolt home. I would make the you know smoothies and things like that, so he could use a straw. And then I would just bolt home. Um, and his best friend and wife, who happened to be a nurse, also flew from Scotland, and they lived with us for a while, which was amazing. Mm. So it was a combination. And then I got pregnant. I got pregnant with the first time of seeing if his manhood was intact. And it was a no touch. Oh, it's intact. Apparently, it was a no cut, delicate, um, delicate dance of love. Um, yeah. Because he was very mindful that that he yeah. got married and not be able to have a child. And then, yeah. no behold, I was pregnant. Um, so our son was born in August '89. Yeah. Wow. So just yeah. over a year after the accident. Yeah. Not yeah. So I was very lucky. <laughs> I had a fight with the nurse to get him out of hospital because he had a surgery the next day. And he said, I just want to go home to bed. And she said, no, you've got surgery the next day because he had 17 general anaesthetics in that. Between the accident and the end of December, while he was in hospital, he had 17 GAs of skin grafts. So they were yeah. potato peel, any skin that was okay off with a potato peel, literally looked like a potato peeler. And then they were grafted back on. Um, and so I said to her, he wants to go home to his own bed. I didn't know what his, his, his idea was that he wanted to, he was so worried about his manhood that he wanted to check it. And so she had a fight with us. It was midnight. She said, but if you get back at six in the morning, the bed might be gone. And he goes, well, if the bed's gone for an emergency, I can wait another few days. I just need to go home and sleep in my own bed. So mm -hmm. we went home and then the next morning we walked in with a smile and he's like, it's all good. I fasted, ready for surgery. Little did we know we were going to make a baby. We yeah. had no idea. It was, it was, yeah, it was very delicate and quick. That's so great. You normally talk about things like that on, on your podcast. Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> look, yeah, the, you clearly, we're not clearly like good friends yet because you would know that this is exactly up my alley. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. That's amazing. And so now you're pregnant. Well, uh, you've 
gone to this whole new place relationally with your husband. Yeah. Yeah. You both are new people as well and have probably having to get to discover how do we function as, yes. as these new people. Yes. yes. And you bring your baby into the mix and a new business. Yes. So we started the business, but it was really hard, you know, for him, James. He just found the pain was excruciating. Yeah. The the change in identity was excruciating. Um, the change in mobility was excruciating. Um, and so he just went downhill for about 10 years, 10, 10, 12 years, and just got really depressed and um really self-medicated himself on alcohol, mm-hmm. cigarettes. Um, marijuana, basically anything that he could get his hands on that would help him get out of his pain. Yeah. Um, so that was, again, a very challenging um, path. But amazingly, um, we got through it and, you know, he hasn't touched alcohol in over 10 years. And now, um, and he got into food as well, got obese, got to 120 kgs. So, but now at 65, he's a yogi, personal trainer, very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Um does one-on-one with people has a yoga studio hasn't drunk for 10 15 years and is lean and strongest he's ever been at 65 (laughs) so so as a yoga like i've never done yoga okay for a million reasons mostly because i just haven't um but anyway i imagine a yoga instructor you need skin that's quite flexible yeah yeah, so and that's he's, why he's a really good yoga teacher because, um, that, you know, the average age of the people that come to our studio are probably 40s and 50s and they're people who can't move and that's um, people who need it the most. So he's yeah. not your beautiful, blonde, gumby, flexy, 20-mid-year-old. He's a 65-year-old, <laughs> inflexible, grumpy, bearded Scotsman. <laughs> Who's, so, who, who, like, I'm just shocked that his skin can move enough to do a lot of those stretches because there's a lot like skin grafts often, you know, yeah, they can exactly, yeah, no, he's extraordinary, he's, he's fine because the, the thing is, it doesn't make people um feel intimidated because he's he'll be up there doing a posture and say, Well, this is the best I can do, mm. and Mary <laughs> over there can do it really better. Have a look at her, and yeah. you know, how about this person over here, you know, you know. You know, have a look at them. There, you know, there's other ways you can do it, but you just do with whatever your body is going to allow you to do. And yeah. yoga is very much a personal journey. You don't compare yourself to anyone else because yeah. your body um, bones are different to everyone else. So yeah. you've got different um, flexibility. So, like during during the time um, when he was self medicating and going through a really dark place, um, for, for you being again kind of like support worker mother and then you know to a mother of two um once you had your daughter after that um how was that for you how do you how do you remember that journey of and i imagine it would have been a lonely isolating time how did you i guess manage through that process it was very challenging it was very very challenging it was really hard Mm. but you know that the then because people often said to me you know gosh how did you stay there how did you not leave at that time and the, the thing question that, yeah. yeah the thing that that was always apparent to me was that he knew he had a challenge and he was he, he knew he had a problem and he knew he was working on it and he was always working on it and we were often working on it together mm, right. so he would you know he was always looking for ways to improve he was conscious of his dark position that he was in so Mm. he went and 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 tried um many different ways to try and help himself and was on a journey of 
self-discovery and on a journey of self-improvement and um, would regress and go a bit forward and regress. And, and when someone knows that they've got a problem and someone is consciously aware of it and also working on it, I wasn't going to walk away. Yeah. That was, that was not, not something that I would do. Um, I've seen other people that have challenges and go, I've not got a problem. It's you who have the problem. Well, then that's a different story because they don't have awareness. Yeah. And they're not on a path to improving. They're just, yeah. they're just, they're not acknowledging they've got a problem. It's really easy though in, in kind of hearing your story and going, oh yeah, it was difficult and you pushed through and it turned out amazing. Well done. Like, but in the moment you don't know that. You don't know it's going to get amazing. So was there times when like you're in the midst of it and going, this is not going to get any better. This is as good as it's going to get. Was there, was there moments like that? Oh, absolutely. But when you share a business with someone and you have a mortgage, it's a bit hard. I mean, what I used to do is just put the kids in the car and we'd go and sleep at the beach for the night. I would often do that. Yeah, well. That was just my way of, of coping. And I, I obviously have my friends and parents' houses that I could go to if I felt, um, you know, that I needed to get out. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't want to bother anyone. So I just said, let's go for an adventure. Let's go to the beach for the night. <laughs> Again, in that as well, like I feel like it would have been would have been easy in those moments to spiral into a victim mentality of like, oh, the, this is all happening to me. I can't do anything about it, and just go into a shell. Um, and I, I don't, I don't feel like that's what you did. Like I feel like you were really proactive and you were really working to to bring things um, into a positive place. H- how did you not fall into that victim mentality? I think when you've got two children, little children, you've got to stay positive. And when you're running a business and you have team See, members no, at no, work. I mean, Suzanne, no, 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 I'm interrupting you. You just said you have to stay positive. Yeah. There is, that's <laughs> rubbish because there's millions of people out there who don't. Yeah, well, I chose to. There we go. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I chose to because, you know, we had an amazing team at work. My children were gorgeous. Yeah. You know, why would I get sucked into that? You know, yeah. uh, you know, it was just there's just no way I was going to. So, but then I got sick ten years later as well. So the tables did get turned. So he did have to pull himself out a little bit for that because when I got sick, the kids were only young; they were like three and seven. Yeah. So he had to. The tables were turned um, a bit on him as well. So he yeah. had to step up a bit, and um, which had its own challenges. When I was in the hospital, I would worry about the children and you know were they you know being looked after well enough so um but yeah they got through they're now you know having their own families and 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 big adjusted adults so they weren't too damaged yeah i just want to highlight something that Suzanne said before because it was really interesting where you were talking about uh you chose to stay positive versus some people think it inevitable oh it's just inevitable that i'll be positive Positivity is not inevitability. It's a choice. Yes. Right. Uh, and to hear you and your journey, despite the lows and the downs, and it's not like you're just flying the whole time, but it's like no. every now and whatever, whenever in those moments, no, it's going to be positive. I'm going to stay in this. I'm going to choose this. And so I just want to highlight that because mm. I thought people could hear your story and think, oh, okay. So positivity, positivity is an inevitability. I'm like, ah, oh, hell no. <laughs> No, but the thing is, we only have this one moment in life. We don't have to do all of them at once. No, no. We only no. have one moment. And in that one moment, if we can choose to be positive, no matter the past, yeah. no matter the future and how insurmountable the future seems and so horrible the past seems, we don't have this moment right now. And yeah. if we choose in this one moment 
to be positive, our outcome with the next moment and the way we look at the past will be a lot, a lot more, um, I suppose, successful. Yeah. You know, we will, we will, we will um, achieve things that um, will have a better outcome if we have that positive attitude. Yeah. And, you know, when you say you got sick, it's not like you got the flu or something. You, like it was really serious. Again, you mentioned the hospital. Like, how, Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I just had a disease that was eating me. And so they, um, yeah, I was in and out of hospital for a year. Uh, only had, oh, compared to David, mine was just, mine was just child's play. I had seven um, major surgeries um, in and out of hospital for the year. And, and they gave, they took my uterus, my cervix, my appendix, my ovaries. They just kept taking more and more organs out because the um, disease was eating everything. And wow. then eventually they said, well, you've got five years to live. That's it. And um, so we actually put a manager in the business and packed up and left. And we decided to backpack the world for a year and just camp around the world and have some fun. So With the kids? Yeah, yeah. We homeschooled them. And how, how, old, how old were the kids? They were five and nine. So we just um, homeschooled them and free camped because we didn't have any money. So we didn't have much money at that time. So we, um, yeah, it was good fun. We took a small wage from the business and yeah and um, promoted the um, office manager to running the whole business, gave her um, some of our wage and we took half a wage and um, just backpacked the world. So it was good. And, but then I finally got rid of the disease. So um, with a lot of um, playing with a lot of different um, medicines and yeah, which is great. So now yeah. at 57, I'm here. <laughs> Still around. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. My wife and I homeschool as well. So, uh, or yeah. We, our dream is to actually do a yacht around the world oh, wow. and not backpack, but mm, yes, mm. we're yes. working on that. Yes, it's, um, yeah, the school um, of side is pretty amazing. So, <laughs> how many years ago? So, five you were given five years, like yeah, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, or something was it? Oh, no, that was I was 33. Oh, um, okay, 50, yeah, the kids were, yeah, little. okay, my kids are my son's 32 and my daughter's like 29, so they were little kiddies then, yeah, yeah, right. And so, so both your, your husband and you were 33 when yeah, you had Jesus, your life, yeah. the crucifixion year? Yeah. 33. Yeah, that's the year. <laughs> what a magical year. And there's, there's so much to this as well. And there's like, there's a lot of things that I really want to delve into, but we won't just because there's still more to come, right? Like, you, you know, you kind of, you went through the business and you ended up selling that business and sort of changing trajectory. Can you tell us about that? We sold the business because we realized that it wasn't it wasn't really floating our boat anymore. We weren't passionate about what we were doing. I'd got back from the world trip and we still we didn't know how much longer I had. Mm. I was still not well. And so we decided to sell it and we sold it to one of our team members' parents. They knew it was a good business and they said, Oh, we'd love to buy it. And so they did and um, ran it very successfully for a long time. So we just did. We semi-retired, sold the building as well and did property investing for about five years and then the GFC hit. So mm. we nearly lost everything. So um, luckily, we like were hanging on by a little thread. Um, yeah. We didn't lose everything. And um, that's when I decided to start my coaching practice because at mid-40s, I was like, what am I going to do now? My husband's mid-50s. He can't go back to work. We still have kids at home and it's like, all right, well, I love coaching because I've done a lot of sports coaching for fun, volunteering, and I love business because mm. we've done the full circle of the business. And I thought, I know, I'll join the two. I'll be my coach. 
we'd had a coach in our business and I rang him and said, what do you reckon? He's like, you'd be a great coach. Mm. Good at business and you like people, you like helping people, great idea. (laughs) So lo and behold, I was like, well, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And we had $1.8 million debt. Um, from having owning a house outright to $1.8 million debt, I was like, well, I'm not going bankrupt without a fight. So um, I'll start my own business. So, yeah. So You are quite a fighter, aren't you? Well, yeah. Loves people, you're quite a fighter. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit, yeah. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) I imagine if you'd done MMA or something, you would have been undefeated. (laughs) But I'm not fiery at all. No, I, no. I'm not in a confrontation. I'm not fiery or fighter. I suppose it's internal. Yeah. That's the thing. You can fight for things and you can fight against yeah. things. And you can you're a fighter either way. And yeah. I'm saying I'm not. I don't fight against things. I fight for things. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Exactly. I suppose internal determination or internal fight is strong, very yeah. much, but not of um, confrontation. <laughs> you know, of that kind of fight, not an yeah. external fight. Yeah. Yeah. I still think pity the fool who would try to attack you. Um, I think you'd be able to fight that pretty <laughs> well. Well, I'm six foot, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think they would. Nice. <laughs> I'm pretty big. <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> so, like, for, for, for me, the, you know, the, the key components of, of your journey are just the extremes. So you've got the, the highs and the lows and, like, the, the real deep lows of both health for your husband and for you, and then you've got the... The, the business and selling the business and semi-retiring and then you've got the the low of everything falling apart and almost losing any everything and again somebody else in your shoes may have just gone oh well that's it i'm going bankrupt yes um, and we met a lot of the time but did yeah and, yeah, yeah. And, and they were talking about they couldn't travel they couldn't get loans they couldn't do this and i'm like oh i'm so glad we chose to fight like i'm yeah. so glad we didn't yeah. do that yeah it was tough and you know, things were a bit tough, but so what? <laughs> and so it's the way that you have, um, I guess, dealt with these situations um, that has actually now given you so much credibility and so much wisdom and insight, which is of value to your clients and is of value to people that you connect with. Because people can, like everyone experiences stuff, but it's what you do with those experiences that actually shapes your character and who you become. And so I think that's what's been... The, the greatest standout thing for me and knowing you is just how you've gone about this. Um, and so that's served you well. Um, and so now you can serve your clients well. Does that, does that sound right? Absolutely. And for me, if I, if through me sharing my experiences with to other people can help them have a little glimmer of hope when they're having, you know, a bumpy trot, well, then it makes my experiences even more worthwhile because they've helped somebody else. Because when I was down, I was reading books about, you know, this is, you know, one of the books that I read when I was down. (laughs) Hey, there we go. You know, I remember sitting in the car for hours on end reading that book and then finished it and started it straight again because, you know, I would would read books um, about people that have been through challenges and that was the fuel, you know, to help me. And so if I can, you know, help other people through sharing my stories, well, it makes it more worthwhile. And from, from an audio perspective, it's just important to note that it was the David Bissot book, Don't Look Back, which and David Bissot being the founder of Opportunity International Australia. So I just wanted to piece that together. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you for and, that. And just to clarify, mm-hmm. you keep, you've used this phrase at least twice, maybe three times now, a bumpy trot. Yes. Would you describe your 
journey, those hardships as a bumpy trot? With, or is that how you would actually describe them? Um, yes. They that's were, it. Yeah, a bumpy were, trot. Yeah, they were pretty challenging. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's, uh, I was like, I think it's more than a bumpy trot. Yeah. I suppose, you know, because we've had many challenges and you've heard of, you know, yeah. a couple of the big ones, there's been quite yeah. a few other um, um, ones that it seems to be when I look back over the years, there's been these bumps, you know, yeah. every sort of few yeah. years. And so it's just like, oh, yeah, that was that was a bumpy year that year. So yeah. um, that's just, I suppose, my language. <laughs> And I think that's important to highlight as well. Like the, what what we talk about with Lee different and some of the ignite um, course. It's around about the um, the perspective versus the event. So you can actually create your own perspective of the event that you're experiencing, and the language that you choose to use um, is so key because that shapes your perspective of the event, um, which I just think stands out so powerfully with with um, with your story, Suzanne. So, because and here's why I think we're going to be friends, Suzanne. Because yeah, what I see coming from you is, uh, and and my, and and my wife and I used to describe some of the stuff that we've gone through, um, mm. where the perspective is, uh, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I'm so grateful I got I got to go through it. Mm. Yes, which is a perspective that you can develop for anything that happens. Yes, um, because on the other side, you're like, well, look who I got to become. Yeah, even if I'm a little bit scarred up, mucked up, but look at me. I'm yes. friggin' here and I'm amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, like your husband's like, your husband's this amazing yogi now. I'm like, would he ever have done that if he hadn't? Never in a million years. Never. Yeah. He didn't like yoga. That was for sissies. No, he didn't like it. <laughs> for sissies. Yeah, he wasn't. Meanwhile, from what you've said, he's one of the toughest guys on the planet and, and yoga's <laughs> <Yeah>. for sissies. <laughs> he took up powerlifting at the beginning of COVID because we have a gym and that was something he could do. So he was pumping 160, 180 kgs, and he's like, you know, 75 kgs and 65 years old. So he's pumping, you know, more than twice his weight. Yeah. <laughs> That's outrageous. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, which is incredible. <laughs> what do you kids do? If you don't mind, or if you privacy, you may not want to be. Oh, no, I don't mind. My, my daughter, um, funnily enough, um, she's a HR um, director. She, she heads HR, a HR department. She's got a master's in HR at Holyoke, of all places, which is an alcohol and drug support um, organisation. And I have done Holyoke's courses um, many years ago as a codependent, and my husband has done them as an alcoholic. So, yeah, so she loves that, and, um, yeah, um, which is pretty cool. And um, she she realises how important it is, maybe subconsciously through my experience. And um, our son is a real estate agent. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So they're two functioning adults. Well yeah, done. That oh, might be your greatest yeah. achievement out of all the things you've done. <laughs> Running fast, you have two functioning adults yeah. as yeah. your children. Well done. What is the what would be the best decision you've ever made? To probably pull my husband out of the burning house and not panic. And so this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about, but thought it's just there's a lot here. How in that moment do you have the 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 peace of mind the the ability to go like to to wake because you were asleep and so you wake up and you see this thing which is just outrageous to go i know what i need to do and do it without just freaking out yeah i'm just a quick thinker i think laterally and i'm quite a calm person Mm. i'm just lucky i mean other people have said oh they would have panicked Mm. um 
just yeah it was just your like my gut reaction my quick think was get it out put out the flames get him into the pool it's a pool it's a saltwater pool i need to get him in the pool that's um, the thing probably having a pool like yeah. as well was yeah. a good decision yeah and when we were looking <laughs> right? for the house three months before i was adamant i had to have a pool and every house we looked at they didn't have a pool i said no nah, has to have a pool no nah, has to have a pool so yeah pretty spooky because it was yeah. only like, Three months later that the accident happened. So, yeah. And my next door neighbours, they came in with their hoses at midnight and their buckets to try and, you know, help with the fire. Mm. And then the police the next day, forensics asked, interviewed my neighbours and said, oh, do you think that she tried to, to burn her husband and then didn't work so tried to drown him? And the neighbour <laughs> in Psycho, who were a beautiful Indigenous family, and he yeah. said, I, she must be a nurse. I've never seen anyone act so quickly and so calmly and don't you even, even entertain saying that again. She yeah. had a burning house and she was saving her husband. She was in the pool holding him up and waiting for an ambulance and he said don't even and he went mum my mum said he's one good neighbor he just totally ripped shreds out of the copper yeah so um what is the the biggest risk that you've taken that worked out buying a i bought an action coach um master a license i bought an action coach license which cost me close to you know maybe 100k yeah and we were in debt as i said of 1.8 mil um, and I actually had, we actually had four kids at home at the time. We had some ring-ins as well, and they were all young adults. So trying to feed six adults um, with the back against the wall was, um, yeah, that was a big risk to then go and borrow more money. Okay. So that was definitely the biggest, scariest risk because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> i got to make it work. Yeah. So what? So, so what's your what's next for you? What's like I, I, I like hearing the past, but what's your big scary thing that you terrifies you next? <laughs> I want to be a millionaire of hearts, and that's why I wrote my book. Um, as you can see up there, what's your plan? I wrote that, and my whole story. Well, uh, the bumpy bits. Um, there's a a, a bump of it in each bits. chapter. Each chapter is a different bump. Um, <laughs> parallel with the business learning out uh, um, that paralleled that bump. And oh, so it's like a business. Business planning book. The planning or corporate. I've had I've had non for profits and corporate share it with their their team and had them read it. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's about um, yeah how to have a successful organisation um, whilst there's life and bumps happening at the same time. So that's why I've got a different bump for each chapter and how it relates to business and um, and by sharing that journey i hope to help other people um parallel their life challenges with um whatever business or um organization that they're a part of so where do people find that they can get it um on my website um what's your plan um book.com.au or on amazon or i did narrate it myself um so you can get it on audible so um um, or kindle it's on kindle as well so um yeah and we'll I reckon I probably get a message yeah. at least one a day of people saying they've read my book and it helped um, their life um, amazingly, which mm. is very touching for me. That's cool. Maybe just unpack a million a millionaire of hearts uh, a bit more. Tell us more about that. Well, I just figure that if so many people are motivated by being a millionaire of money, that being hearts would be cool and that there must have been a reason that I was meant to live past my predicted um date of expiration 
And so I thought there must be a reason and somehow or rather that reason came to me. So whether it's through listening to this amazing podcast, whether it's through reading my book, whether it's through um, coaching with me, I'm just um, on a journey to, um, to, you know, touch and inspire and motivate a million people to be a better version of themselves than they thought they could be. Right. Can I put on my Zig Ziglar hat for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Why only a million? Yes, very true. Because um, because it just sounds really cool and it, it does sound very cool, yeah. exciting. And but I might I might get more than a million, but mm. then that's fine. You can always shift the goalposts, right? You can always go. All oh, right, I've done a million. Let's go a billion. Exactly. Like, why a marathon? Why not an ultra marathon? Like, you know, why? I mean, I did solo to Rottenness. Why not do the English channel instead? That's really cool. What about um, a book recommendation? Definitely David Rousseau's book. What's the title of it? Don't Look Back. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely his book because it was very instrumental in my path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, Is there a second one? Is there another book that you love? Um. Probably um, Leaders Eat Last. I think that's pretty, I love that book. That's really powerful about leadership in in organisations and the difference between good leaders and and not so good leaders. Um, I found that um, an amazing, uh, um, really um, amazing book. Yeah. And that's by Simon Sinek, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 Loved it. That's cool. I think that's all that I have. Is there anything else, James? No, no. I'm, look, I know her <laughs> husband can still reproduce. So we're all good to go. Yeah, it's everything ticked off. There you go. Uh, that's great. <laughs> I have a whole life now. You don't need to I like to have a lot of fun on this podcast, and thank you for having fun with yeah. us. Um, that's all right. You're you've been a tremendous cool. guest. Uh, <laughs> you've honestly, you've been very gracious with your story, yes. uh, and it's a really powerful story. And yeah. thank you for you being very gracious with letting me interrupt. So thank you for all those things. That's great. Well, it's an absolute honour and a pleasure to um, share if it helps somebody else with their life and their, their belief in their own abilities. Um, it's, yeah, um, it's an honour, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Lead Different podcast. At Lead Different, we are building leaders worth following. And if you'd like to find out more information about this and leading yourself well, head to leaddifferent.org.